Welcome everyone. We're back for our live market commentary. And uh, this is where I talk about the latest developments in the market. And uh, this is where we also share our thoughts about them. So um, I will be your host today, Albert, and uh, I'm the Deputy Country Manager in Malaysia. Uh, we're joined today here by uh, Stephanie, who is our Chief Investment Officer. Um, hi, Stephanie. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Hi, Albert. Hi, everyone. Uh, in fact, I just returned to Hong Kong from my trip in Malaysia and Thailand. So um, it was uh, it was great to see you in, in Malaysia in real person. Yeah. Yeah, to our uh, our audience out there, um, if you know, you had the chance to meet Stephanie in Malaysia or Thailand, I hope uh, you found it was a good session. Um, last week, she shared her thoughts about markets, uh, interacted with some of you, I'm sure. So yeah, it was a you know, interesting times now that borders have opened up. Uh, but anyway, it's been a while since we uh, did our last market commentary back in December. Uh, January itself was a pretty jam-packed uh, month with uh, other events. Um, um, but I guess similar to before today, I would like to focus on two things. One is the um, on US itself and the other one will be on China. And as this is a live event, please uh, feel free for those who are um, watching this from YouTube, please post your questions. There is a Slido link in the YouTube, um, the, the YouTube uh, description itself. So just go there. Uh, go to Slido and key in your questions based on you know whatever thoughts that Stephanie will be sharing. Okay, so um, on to the first point, which is uh, about the US. We last week we saw quite a few things happen. Um, we had the twenty-five basis points hike in interest rates, which was expected by the market. Um, Jay Powell, his in his press conference, didn't really push back against um, you know how exuberant the market was uh, in terms of loosening uh, financial conditions. And this somewhat led to markets kind of uh, you know being very excited and we saw uh, it move up quite a bit. Um, and towards the end of last week uh, on Friday, we also had strong economic data in terms of um, the non-farm payrolls. We also had average hourly earnings or so, you know, be all beating expectations. Um, and lastly, yesterday night, we had Jay Powell at the Economic Club of Washington. Um, that's where he, you know, he gave his, uh, his thoughts and uh, he mentioned that, oh, we're at the beginning of a disinflation uh, stage and further rate hikes will be needed if we see very strong labor market out there. So my, my question to you, Stephanie, is you know, given all this that's been happening, what do you think about um, higher rates this year, uh, given the backdrop that we're in? That's the first part. And the second part is we have been on a year of higher interest rates, especially coming out of the US. So markets are expecting a recession. Are we then likely to see a rate cut coming in in the later half of this year? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's all a bit confusing. I think the messages that we got last week uh, from both the Fed and also from the data release on Friday in terms of the labor market. So, I mean, let's uh, take it kind of one by one. So I think before last week, uh, of course, the, the, the markets have rallied uh, in terms of both bonds and equities. Uh, if you look at bond yields, I mean, they've come off quite significantly over the last kind of two months or so. Uh, and that's because the market has been increasingly pricing in a soft landing scenario where inflation is coming down, but also growth is not as bad as uh, as fear. And that's because if you look at US CPI number, uh, it has uh, come off, uh, off off the peak. And uh, when we kind of last discussed this trend, I think we were in the same camp saying that, I mean, inflation should come down. But also, I mean, the market participants and ourselves included tend to look at a moving average. So you need a few months of data 
to confirm a, tra- a change in trend. So I think what the market got was over the past few months, I mean, there has been a change in trend and that, I mean, inflation uh, seems to be a, a worry of uh, 2022. So as we have said in our market outlook as well, we think inflation concerns uh, would mostly um, be, I guess, more subdued this year. But this year, the like the focus of the market actually returns to growth. And so the market has kind of concerns have been gyrating between, oh, are we going to get a soft landing or are we going to a much harder recession? And this is guided by different types of data. Um, so I think if you look at uh, the range of um, uh, growth indicators or data that we can look at, there are some leading indicators and there's some lagging indicators. So in terms of leading indicators, for example, uh, one of the one of the best ones that I mean we also like to look at a lot is the uh, PMIs, the Purchasing Managers uh, Index. Uh, in the U.S., it's called the ISM, uh, Institute of Supply Management Index, uh, and that I mean typically leads the uh, economic cycle because uh, it based it's basically a monthly survey of uh, the uh, of the purchasing managers in the industry in the supply chain. So if the economy is strengthening or weakening, they would be the first ones to feel it. And every month, basically, I mean, the, the ISM, for example, ask these uh, purchasing managers or ask these uh, uh, participants in the supply chain, how do you feel about the uh, current economic situation? And how do you think about the future situation? Do you see inventories rising? Do you see prices rising, coming off, et cetera, et cetera? So, I mean, this actually gives a pretty good leading indicator of where the economy is going. And when we look at this indicator uh, in the US, it has been going down in the past few months. And uh, recently in December, uh, it actually crossed the 50 line, i.e. when this ISM number is below 50, it means that the economy is actually in a contraction. When when it goes above 50, it means that the economy is expanding. So um, uh, then, I mean, we all know that the economy is actually slowing down. Um, and if you look at the U.S. Um, manufacturing ISM, it's actually slowed down to a level which is uh, which is quite alarming. So um, compared to the last time when we had such a big slowdown, uh, that was actually back in 2020 uh, when we had the COVID, um, uh, uh, I guess, like um, stopping of the economy and, and preventing people from going to work. So I mean, on the one hand, uh, this data has been quite alarming. On the other hand, uh, on Friday, we got the payrolls data, right? Payrolls actually was a blowout. Um, the consensus or the market was looking for uh, around 300,000 uh, increase in uh, non-farm payrolls. The actual number actually came out to be 510. So that actually beat consensus uh, quite a lot. And unemployment rate is actually at all times low. So you may ask, why is there such a big difference, right? One piece of data is telling us the economy is actually contracting. The other piece is telling us it's quite strong. So when we look at the different types of data, some is leading, some is lagging. And uh, from our analysis, actually, uh, the payroll data is quite lagging, Uh, i.e., if you think about companies, People tend to be the last thing, the last cost item that you cut. Like you try to keep your 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 employees as long as possible, uh, as as your business can still sustain. So that explains why payrolls are still so strong. While we're already seeing the leading parts of the economy uh, falling into uh, a, a contraction. So I mean that's kind of on the growth side, and I mean the market reacted quite nicely to it. Uh, one more reason is because of uh, Powell's more dovish comment. Um, I think if you, I think the market going into the Fed was actually uh, looking for um, Powell to be quite hawkish. 
actually, if you if you look at Powell's actual comment, uh, he 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 didn't say much new, right? He didn't say, "Oh, we're going to stop hiking rates." In fact, I mean, yesterday he said we may have to take interest rates a bit higher uh, than what we're what what we're already penciled in. So, if you look at um, the Fed's own projection, they're projecting uh, two more, uh, sort of like a fifty basis points more uh, rate hike uh, at five point one, uh, and then. Basically, I mean, they project to be staying at 5.1 for quite some time. Uh, the market is actually uh, saying that um, the Fed will hike interest rates, but not as high as the Fed uh, projects. And then they will actually start cutting interest rates in the second half of uh, 2023. So quite soon. And that's, that explains why, I guess, we see equities and bonds rallying. Uh, if we look at this scenario, um, it's actually uh, quite an optimistic scenario in our view. Uh, because uh, of the leading of the of the lagging nature of the payrolls data, so I think um, uh, if if we're looking at um, uh, some lagging indicators, it's it's not that useful for putting together portfolios or indicating kind of uh, forward uh, uh, asset price performance. And we're we're seeing like different parts of the economy already slowing down. So I think uh, uh, net net um, again. Um, Power being a bit more dovish means that high inflation may stay uh, for a bit longer, even though it has peaked. Uh, but I mean, also, if interest rate stays a bit longer, then the risk of a deeper contraction also increases. Um, so I guess that like the, the last week, uh, a lot of things happened, but net-net, we think that doesn't kind of change our view that uh, still uh, a slow, a much lower risk, uh, a much lower growth uh, scenario uh, remains the biggest risk uh, in 2023. All right. So that's for the US economy aside. Um, but also, I guess on the back of it all, there's another you know, interesting thing happening on the other side of the world, which is uh, China itself. So there's been a lot of, uh, uh, I guess, people happy about China reopening. Um, in terms of economic numbers, uh, we have also seen their uh, manufacturing and services PMI, which you know went from below 50 to above 50, signifying an expansion. Um, this, you know, we are also coming out of the Lunar New Year from China. Uh, so that's where um, the economy kind of you know, pretty restarts again so um, given this this whole reopening from them the positive uh, spill over to trade partners like in the southeast asia or even europe could we avoid a recession or even a soft landing um, that you talked about earlier and uh, instead you know things won't be you know as bad as feared yeah i think if uh again uh we we like to look at the data and uh uh, China also has uh, a its own PMI. So if you look at the PMI, indeed, uh, as Albert mentioned, it has climbed about 50. So it means that the economy actually started expanding. Uh, however, it's also quite a, a bit quite choppy in the last few months. So if you look at a kind of three-month average, uh, it's still below 50. I, I mean, that, that it's we don't have a clear signal that the trend has changed. Having said that, however, of course, we've seen a lot of policy coming out from China, uh, including the uh, reopening. And also, I think more importantly, we've seen uh, sort of relaxation in some of the tightening policies, for example, for the property sector. Uh, and, and, and then uh, also they injected quite a lot of liquidity into uh, the whole system. So this is in country uh, versus the US. Um, and I mean, that was one major reason why we kind of uh, upgraded our view uh, on emerging markets, including China, 
in our December reautomization of the portfolio, so like to bring it kind of more market weight. Um, I think if you look at um, the uh, implication of China's uh, recent policies and reopening, uh, I think it's it's quite likely that we've seen a trough in terms of China's uh, economic growth. However, uh, to have a sustained kind of uptrend, um, we need um, stronger kind of, um, uh, I guess, um, growth drivers from uh, different industries. And I guess from, from a growth perspective, um, if you think about China in the past two decades or so, uh, property actually contributed 30% uh, to GDP uh, every year. And then obviously in the past few years, um, internet was also a big kind of uh, growth driver and they, they employ a lot of people. Uh, the the structural change is that I mean China cannot afford to stimulate uh, property again, uh, and also given the policy kind of focus on the internet sector, it's very very hard for us to envision that uh, the internet sector will grow as it has been in the past decade. So I mean, with these two kind of big growth drivers um, uh, kind of uh, uh, more muted uh, going forward, uh, we need to see some other like growth drivers emerging from China. Uh, so far, I guess, I mean, there are a few potential ones, but I, we haven't seen like, like some very, very strong uh, support for, for, for any particular kind of uh, sectors that could replace these two. So I think all in all, um, we think the trend is, is positive, i.e. I mean, we may see kind of PMI climbing further up uh, in the next few months, but it is just strong enough to support the global economy, or like even prevent uh, U.S. Uh, from going into a a, a contraction, uh, I think that's not very likely. Unless I mean, China goes on a bazooka, right? Mm-hmm. Unless they, they they just like kind of uh, stimulate the property market uh, like how they did in 2009. So um, I think, given the policy constraint, it's very very hard to see that happening again. China is trying to China's focus is actually on risk mitigation. They don't want to. They don't want the sector, like property, for example, to go into uh, a systemic risk because I mean, then it touches up on the the banking system, which creates a much much bigger systemic problem for China. But they're not. They're not going to like just kind of uh, stimulate blindly because they they know the price that they will have to pay in the future. So I think um, uh, yes, it's uh, relative to the U.S. is in a better place. Um, uh, but also, I mean, just bear in mind that. The equity prices uh, in in China related uh, kind of sectors have have rallied uh, quite significantly. For example, you look at the Hang Seng; it's rallied fifty percent from its low. So, um, I, in terms of just kind of valuation, it has uh, rebounded quite a lot, and and I, I think that incorporates the the hope that a reopening would bring in kind of uh, the the economic recovery. Mm. Um, on that point, uh, actually, b- before that, uh, if any of you have questions, I see some questions streaming in already on Slido. Um, but if you aren't aware, there is a link to Slido in the YouTube description. So please feel free to post your questions and we'll get back to it in a, in a few moments. But yeah, on, on the whole uh, reopening on China itself, Stephanie, do you foresee any risks from that? I.e., you know, inf- if inflation picks up again, are we going to be back on a, you know, a, rate, a path of uh, rate hikes going forward. Yeah, so if you look at more recent data like uh, jet fuel consumption in China, it has been going up, uh, and I think um, this is this is to be expected because of the revenge travel, right? If you're locked up for a whole year and 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 like suddenly you free up, then of course I mean you 
you you you take the plane, you take the train, you go to places, you visit relatives, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, uh, I think the, I, you need to take the recent spike with the, with a grain of salt. But um, I mean, having said that, of course, like the China reopening has positive implications for commodities, uh, for oil, oil users, um, for for uh, other like gas, copper, etc. So um, I think that adds. I, I think that pre- like sort of gives. A lot, like a bit more support to these commodities, uh, and uh, if you think about kind of the net net effect of a U.S. contraction versus China reopening, uh, some of that would balance out. Um, so I think it, it it lends support to commodities. However, if when we look at inflation, it's a year on year change, right? So uh, if you think about commodities like oil prices last year, uh, it went up to one hundred twenty dollars, uh, and and I mean it's hard. For me to see that a China reopening would actually push uh, U.S. Uh, kind of oil prices up there. So, in terms of the year-on-year change, uh, we're going to see much more subdued year-on-year change this year compared to the last year when we had a Ukraine war. So, I guess uh, I, are we going to see like oil prices going a lot like, down a lot? I, I think the the China reopening sub- story will support that, but also probably not that much upside. So net net, I think commodity prices may more be in the range bound uh, over the coming months. Uh, and the year on year effect means that the, the, the impact to inflation will actually uh, go down. Mm. And uh, just taking some questions from uh, from the audience here uh, on the topic of China itself, um, someone's asking, you know, who are the biggest beneficiaries from China reopening? Is it emerging markets uh, yeah, I think um, there are like, obviously uh, the service industries uh, in China are the biggest beneficiaries uh, because people can then I mean go out and spend, like go eat, uh, like go travel, um, and uh, I, I think if you if you think about the playbook is basically like quite similar to when when US reopened. Like, like leisure, like hotel, uh, airlines, I mean, all these sectors kind of benefit. Uh, also, of course, um, if you think about where the Chinese would travel, uh, I mean, like Southeast Asia is a popular destination. I was actually, I mean, just in Thailand last week and uh, I, I guess on the ground, we're, we're seeing a lot of like, Chinese tourists returning. Um, and then the other sector uh, could be um, uh, European um, luxury brands or European just kind of leisure stocks. Uh, so I think I mean these are kind of uh, more obvious sectors that would benefit from a from a China reopening. Uh, then I mean I, I guess from a from a uh, kind of secondary perspective, uh, it will mean that I mean like some of the sectors um, from China will have uh, I guess capacity to start like going back to work and and develop etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think uh initially in the first few months I mean those are the sectors that are worth kind of paying attention to. All right, okay. Um and then I guess switching gears to a little bit more uh, focused on our product offerings because there are quite a few questions on that. Mm. Um for, this is a bit more general but it's, it, the, this question says um it seems like economists are divided about whether there will be a recession or not. Um, are our portfolios positioned in a way to stay resilient throughout the uncertainties? Mm. Yes, actually, I mean, that's a great question. And so thank you very much for that. Um, we, I mean, it, at such a way, we actually manage uh, or, uh, I guess, um, put together our portfolios according to uh, something called the accessory risk index, right? Which is 
the maximum like 99 percentile um, kind of drawdown uh, under different macro scenarios. So we actually reposition our portfolios whenever we see a new kind of macro scenario or new risk kind of emerging. Uh, so when we um, in December, we actually re-optimize our portfolios because throughout, I guess, the second half of 2021 and also 2022, uh, inflation was the biggest risk. And so we've uh, we've added uh, inflation protection to all our portfolios back then. And that actually helped our portfolios to outperform our benchmarks uh, by around, uh, on average, 5 to 6% um, uh, uh, throughout the, uh, the 2022. Going into 2023, as I mentioned before, we think that uh, uh, now actually a, a economic growth uh, becomes the market's biggest risk. Because if you kind of... Um, uh, as I mentioned, right, inflation is rolling over. Like people expect inflation to be on a path to kind of coming off. The question is how fast, right? But on the growth side, there's much more uncertainty. Uh, if are we are we heading into recession? Are we like, going going to a soft landing? So when we reoptimize our portfolios, uh, we make sure that uh, when we put together different asset classes under this uh, kind of uh, growth slowing down, inflation uh, still high, but uh, it's rolling off scenario that the worst case kind of drawdown um, uh, would not exceed our uh, SRI level uh, in with a 99% confidence. So uh, that's how we manage our portfolio. So uh, for people concerned about drawdowns, I think um, uh, this is uh, what we've done to make sure that the, the downside is protected. Great. Um, and I guess on that point, um, I've got a question here. I was asking uh, about interest rates. Um, do you expect interest rates to rise much more? And because of that, should I be adding more to Stash Away Simple, which is one of our uh, offerings? Yeah. Uh, so I think um, in, in terms of US interest rates, um, the uh, so there will be two more meetings, uh, I guess, where the Fed will hike 25 basis points given what we're seeing now in the data and everything. So the, the next Fed meeting is in March. Uh, so it's uh, the Fed is expected to hike 25 basis points at March. And then uh, afterwards in May, there's going to be a second meeting. Uh, and if the Fed hikes another 25 basis points, I mean, that takes the federal fund, uh, Fed funds rate to 5.1%. So which is the Fed's target? Uh, I mean, we we think it's, it's quite likely uh, that they will do the, the the two times interest rate hikes, uh, and and just kind of uh, be uh, kind of stay there for a while and observe the data. Uh, I mean, if in in that scenario, um, I think if you look at simple simple plus or like kind of fixed income products right now, the um, the the yield on these products are actually quite attractive. Uh, the reason is because when we think about uh, valuation uh, for bonds you need to compare it with inflation. So um, of course, today's inflation is still fairly high. It's kind of around five or 6%, but I mean, the inflation given the Fed's tightening uh, should come off. And uh, long-term, I, I guess if, um, if if you think about kind of longer-term inflation uh, around maybe 3% or so, or even lower, uh, a, a, a kind of interest rate of 45%, uh, it's actually quite attractive because you're earning like 1% or 2% uh, so-called like real interest rate. Uh, so I guess, uh, and, and, and also secondly, in terms of uh, this year's environment, uh, given all the uncertainty and potential volatility in equities, uh, bonds tends to be a lot more stable. 
I, I, I we all say, I, I mean, when we talk about bonds, it's, it always sounds very boring because I mean, bonds are boring. Uh, bond men's are, are are typically like the, not the uh, not I guess yeah not the not the most colorful guys um, in uh, I, I guess on Wall Street because I mean that is exactly what bonds provide right they provide stability so I think if you um, uh, look into your own asset allocation um, if there's um, I guess if there's a more allocation to equities or kind of uh, more risky assets. Then I mean this year it's worth thinking about oh should I add some more bonds uh, to kind of balance out the risky assets and and just build a more diversified portfolio. Hmm. Yeah. Um, maybe for for those of you who are listening but aren't sure what you know simple or simple plus is um, uh, at least that's very simple. It's like a cash management fund that we offer. Essentially, it's a it's a way to earn uh, you know a little bit of interest uh, rather than just keeping in the bank and um, you know not not making your 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 excess cash sweat for you so uh, that's how you can you know benefit from it and if you need to withdraw it at any point in time there's always that flexibility so there is no lock-in period all right um the next question is um this person he says i have a flexible portfolio and mm-hmm. i have added more exposure to china and emerging markets um, however, despite the gains, I guess from the past few months, uh, the weakening dollar has negated the growth. So, what are your strategies on this, Stephanie? Uh, yes, I, I think. Um, uh, I mean, depending on kind of your home currency, the um, the I guess like the dollar impact could be big or small. So, I'll just say a few things. Number one. Uh, RMB also strengthened against the, the the U.S. dollar, and that also contributed to the uh, the uh, I guess the the increase in the allocation uh, to uh, China uh, in the flex portfolio. Because if you think about the even though I mean the I, I guess um, the you may think about your portfolio in U.S. dollar, the underlying uh, equities, the underlying companies actually operate in RMB. So I think for 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 that for 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 uh, for you, uh, you need to think. About, uh, if you look at it from a uh, kind of China currency versus your home currency basis, I mean that it may not have changed that much because a lot of uh, the the I guess the Asian currencies move was driven by actually uh, the dollar weakness or the RMB strength. So it kind of moved in tandem. So. Uh, you need to take that into account. When you take that into account, actually, the currency effect is not that big. Uh, secondly, I would say that uh, if you have a portfolio that is predominantly home currency, uh, maybe it's, it includes your, all your assets, right? It includes your house, uh, includes your uh, other investments locally. Uh, then, I mean, having a some like kind of exposure to US dollar can actually help you diversify your your risk. Uh, currencies tends to be a kind of a zero sum game. So if you look at like long-term charts of, of the US dollar, it fluctuates up and down, right? Every cycle, uh, when it's an up cycle, it goes up like 25%, when it's down cycle, it go, comes back like 25%. So net net, um, over a long-term basis, I mean, the currency fluctuation actually cancels out each other. Um, and and because I mean, currency is actually quite different from equities and bonds. Huh? Uh, equities and bonds, uh, tend to go up over time because for equities you're actually earning the uh the the the, the economic growth or the earnings growth of the company for bonds you're actually earning interest rates however FX is basically a zero-sum game it's one currency versus the other so over time it doesn't tend to go up and it just and it stays flat so uh, of course like within that there are some big cycles but um I would encourage 
uh, everyone to, to think about like the, the home bias, like the home currency exposure versus I mean, maybe getting some US dollar. Hmm. So that's that's your um, Stephanie's view on in terms of currency. Um, and I guess the last question, because we're kind of running out of time, uh, which is a little bit more on, on stationery as a company itself. So the question is, uh, seems like we are in everything right now. Uh, when I, I presume when this this person asks uh, and says that we're in everything means we have uh, different offerings out there from general investing portfolios to flexible portfolios. So um, Stephanie, what is kind of the direction of the company uh, stash away this year? Yeah, I certainly hope we have everything, but <laughs> I guess we, we don't have everything. Uh, and if I look at like kind of the suite of products that we have, I mean, there's still a lot of gaps uh, that we can still fill. Um, and of course, I, when we first started out um, uh, in Singapore, like six, seven years ago, uh, we only had the general investing portfolios. We only had a few products. Uh, as the company grow, as our client base grow, uh, I think we we have like different client needs that we're trying to serve. Uh, so hence, I mean, that's why we've launched uh, Simple Simple Plus, which has been very very successful over the years uh, for very very ultra kind of low risk investors. Uh, we have Fematics for high risk investors. Now we have like Flex uh, for people who like to uh, just kind of uh, do a bit more customization on on their own. Uh, we also have BlackRock uh, for for, for uh, investors looking for like an alternative to the statutory managed portfolios, um, and so I think if I think about like just kind of all the different portfolios, uh, they cater to different risk needs and different kind of uh, uh, investor type needs. Uh, but I think uh, central to statutory is still our year managed portfolios. Um, and and that's why I mean we're we're paying so much attention to what's happening in the macro uh, world in different asset classes in different regimes and data uh, and how to enhance our euro managed uh, portfolio performance as well. So I mean there's uh, I think there there is not a move away from like being very very diligent on our portfolio management and in fact uh, we've expanded our investment team uh, uh, quite a lot by hiring people. Uh, uh, hiring senior like, macro analysts, quant analysts in the team uh, to take a portfolio for everyone. So, uh, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a good uh, change or it's a good kind of evolution for the company to have more like on our platform. Uh, but I, I think we're also like, increasing our resources so we can actually look after uh, all the products. All right. So uh, there's, there's a little bit of uh, insight into, uh, I guess, where we're heading as a company uh, stash away. But um, anyway, that's uh, our time's up. Um, and thank you so much to everybody for tuning in. Thank you for your questions. Uh, thank you, Stephanie, for sharing uh, your thoughts. Um, this is, um, you know, the 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 live market commentary event for February. We will be uh, doing another one next month. So we'll see you all. Um, in the meantime, thank you again. Do stay safe and take care, everybody. All right. Thank you, and uh, we'll talk again soon.